1: everybody. Welcome into a brand new episode of Crossed Up. I'm Bob Wankel alongside Anthony Sanfilippo. And obviously, Anthony, we have not talked in, I guess, about a week or so. Some things happened at the end of last week that kind of tied me up a little bit on Friday and over the weekend. We are going to be talking about a much, much different Phillies team. Uh, One that has a different look, a different energy, a different vibe about it, and a different manager. So, quite a bit has happened here over the last week, and obviously the Phillies sort of revived their season, what looked like a dying season over the weekend with a sweep of the Angels. And so there is a lot to unpack this morning. So let's bring you in and jump right into it. Give me just your, I don't know, your overall thought about the last four days or about the last week or so and where you're at this morning.
0: You know, I watched a team over the weekend, Bob, that um – managed by a, a former World Series champion manager who couldn't figure out what the hell to do with his, uh, with his pitching staff and watched him lose a few games. And it wasn't the Phillies. <laughs> it, was, it was Joe Madden and the Angels because I felt like, like he had a lot of Joe Girardi moments uh, in that weekend. Um, and, and uh, you know, look, uh, here's, here's what I'm, I'm going to say. I, I, at first, I was surprised that the move was made when it was made. I know there had been so much discussion but we had talked about this last week. I didn't think it was happening uh now. I, I kind of felt like it, it, there was still more time before it would before it would happen. Um so I was a little bit surprised that, that that it happened now. I guess the way things kind of imploded against the Giants at least those first two losses um against the Giants. I know he, I know he won his last game but um th- those first two losses probably was the tipping point uh even though even though um Tombrowski didn't say that. Um, He did mention how tough the losses were, right? And so I think that the the losses to the Mets and the losses to the Giants, as tough as they were, real tough losses. I think when he says that, I think that those were that that collection was the tipping point for him. Yeah. Um, So, so so I think that's that. That said, that real quick, the last thing I want to say though, tied into that, is the only thing that seems to have changed is what you mentioned. The, the vibe, and I'm not necessarily certain that it's just player vibe as much as it was fan vibe. Um, and that's that's okay because if if it if the fans needed as much of a boost as the team did, then that's good too, right? So like uh, to me, the lineup stayed the same. Um, th- they're still going to the same relievers in the same spots. Like nothing really really changed in these four three games that Rob Thompson managed that Girardi would have done differently. Like I don't think there's anything that he would have done differently, per se, and yet the Phillies came out and looked great. So what? what's the, what's the call there? So that's, so that's why I think you know, that's one I like to break down with you.
1: Yeah, and so there's a lot to do here in this episode. They're obviously coming off of a, a great weekend, and there have not been many great weekends for this team, not just this season, but really – over the last 10 years, the last 11 years, I mean, if we're being honest, I think a lot of the frustrations that, that fans feel in 2022, it's a carryover effect to what's been happening, you know, and all of these, all of these playoff misses in recent years and not being competitive going back seven, eight years ago. And I think it's just all sort of compounded on, on itself. But now here you are and you have this great win, a great weekend. And so for that reason, I, I definitely want to try to keep it a little bit more up-tempo, a little bit more positive. But I think it's it's hard to talk about the good that you saw this weekend without focusing on some of the bad that you saw, especially at the beginning of that giant series. And you said it. I mean, listen, I went down there Friday for the press conference, listened to Dave Dombrowski talk, and I think that this was something that was sort of on his radar probably as early as the beginning of May. And I think it was a thing where they felt like, we're not going to do this. Like This is sort of, it's just over, it's, it's reactionary. We know where, where we have issues. Eventually, this team will find its level. It'll be okay. And it didn't, it didn't happen. And not only did it not happen, it kind of continued to trend in the wrong direction. And so it's one thing when you're kind of hovering around 500 and you're just trying to find your footing and you're a little bit inconsistent offensively, you're still trying to find your way with what you have in the bullpen, Okay. But then when you blink and you go 2-5 and five on that road trip in Atlanta and New York and you come out and have just two of the absolute most embarrassing clown show type losses you could possibly imagine against Gabe Kapler, no less, in your home stadium in a must-win, like, we-need-to-save-the-season-this-week type of scenario, I think that at some point, you know, you kind of get pushed over the edge. And if if Dave Dombrowski really woke up on, on Tuesday morning, let's say, and said, we might have to do this, then he goes to the park on... Tuesday night and watches four hours and 52 minutes of just horrible baseball, a total train wreck. Yeah, I think by Wednesday, no matter what happens, independent of outcome, you go for your jog, like you said. And he's thinking, I know how this ends. I don't know where we're going to be if we make a move, but I know where we're going to be if we don't. And, and I think that that's where they got to and that's why they did it. So I have to tell you, I mean, we've been having this conversation. Everybody's been having this conversation for a week or two. I thought it was time. I, like you, was a little bit surprised about the timing of it. I thought that maybe one more bad series, maybe being 10 games under 500 after this weekend, they would maybe consider it. But good for them for getting out in front of it and saying, okay, we've got to go right now. We have a bad Angels team coming in. Before we go on the road against a tough series or for a tough series with the Brewers, we, we've got to have this jolt now. And, and I think that that's why they did it. Yeah,
0: I mean, look, you, you can't you, you can't knock them, right? I mean, they, they so far so good, right? It's it's like I said. I mean, you know, you're gonna look at it, and I know, I know everybody's gonna go get excited now and be like, oh, see, this is all that they needed, and and now everything's gonna be fine, um, and maybe so. I mean, look, Bob. One of the other one of the interesting quotes that I thought that Dombrowski said uh, in his press conference was, you know, he's around the team every day. And, and, you know, he just wanted the, a, a different feel in the locker room, right? So, may, and, you know, and, and, and a different relationship with the players. And it makes me wonder, well, what was that clubhouse like with Girardi? Like, that's the one thing that I, you know, we always assumed that he had a pretty good clubhouse. And he was more, you know, he was a good players manager kind of thing. I mean, that was kind of the assumption. We, we never heard anything negative really come out um, from, from the Phillies clubhouse. So my question is, though, the, did, did the, did the, were the players and the manager on the same page? And if they weren't, then this is, this is the right, obviously, 100% the right move to make. Um, you know, but if they were, I found it kind of curious that he would say what he said. So, so I think there might have been something there, a little bit of a disconnect even, um, between manager and, and players. And that, that also went into the decision. And and if that's the case, then good on Dombrowski for recognizing it and, and fixing it when he needed to.
1: Yeah, my assessment of, of this situation, and I'll, I'll try to be brief with this, is that it wasn't a toxic culture, right? Like I don't think that the players hated Joe Girardi. Right. There was a mutiny forming, and I think that's why he didn't hear leaks, and that's why he didn't hear anything really bad. It was more almost like, and this is probably fitting, but it sort of, sort of, kind of mimics the way they play, but almost indifference. Like, all right, we respect Joe. He was a, a good manager. He's had a, a nice track record with the Yankees. He's a baseball guy and a good guy. But are we getting up for him? Or you know, does he have our backs the way that we want? Is some of the communication as good as you'd want it to be? And that was one of the things I kind of caught. Obviously the Phillies aren't going to sit there and dunk on Joe Girardi during that press conference. But if you listen closely, when they when they highlight Rob Thompson's strengths in a certain way, you can kind of take it and say, well, obviously this is also a reflection of who they previously had in there. So when Correct. you hear about willing to really talk to the players and figure out their mindset and be a great communicator – to me, that leads you to believe... It kind of goes back to the Doug Peterson-Chip Kelly thing, right? Like, right, right. About having uh, emotional intelligence. It kind of lets you know that maybe Joe was out a little bit more on an island. And the other thing that's interesting about it... Everyone wants to kind of link Rob Thompson to Joe Girardi, and that makes sense. They were in two different stops together. They're good friends. They like each other. But you can be friends with somebody, really good friends with somebody, and two different things can be in play and can be true. And I think both have a big impact. One you have the ability to kind of sit back as a second or third in command and see the way that your guy does things. And you can like that guy and you can be his friend and have his best interests at heart, but you kind of have the ability to sit back and say, well, he handled the situation that way. I have the ability to also kind of take inventory of the reaction to those maneuvers and how he handles things. And you can say to yourself, like, they didn't like that. And if I ever had an opportunity, I'd probably do this differently. And I think for years... Rob Thompson probably had the ability to do that. Like, Joe's really good at this, but man, he's not so good at this. And if I ever get a crack at it, I'm going to make sure I don't do these same things. And I, I think that you're seeing a, a little bit of that there. I think that that's one real big part of it. And then the other big part of it is I think that just my understanding of this, I'm not like reporting anything here, but my my understanding of this is that that Joe was out a little bit more on an island. That, that We talked about collaborative processes and things like that. But I think that Joe was a little bit more reluctant to to buy into outside input from even his own staff. Uh, that's just my sense. And so I think the idea is that Rob Thompson comes in, it's more of a unifying force, it's a fresh voice, I think that the players are going to respond to it a little bit differently. And that is not to say that they're about to rattle off 111 straight wins here. Like the Phillies <laughs> still have deep flaws, and I do actually think we should get to those. But I do think we should make ourselves at least wait 25 minutes to talk about them. <laughs> so this is not a cure all, and I think we all understand that. But there were just because it wasn't a train wreck and that it wasn't a toxic culture doesn't mean it was a good one. And I, I think that that's what you can kind of take away from this.
0: Yeah, and then in, in that case, then this this is certainly the right call. Um, because you want to make sure that you have everybody. You can't win, it. You can't win anything in sports without a, a buy-in, right? Everybody's got to be bought into the same thing together. You, so you, if you want to win a division, if you want to earn a playoff spot, there has to be – I mean, I'm not talking, just talking about championships. I'm talking about you know, being able to compete for that championship. You have to have a buy-in. And if the buy-in isn't there and it wasn't there, and, and I think that's what you're trying to convey here, then, yeah, then you have to make a change. And, and, and you've got to give – I mean, obviously, you give the coach an opportunity to, to make – or the manager, in this case, an opportunity to change it himself. And I guess, I guess Dombrowski felt like he gave Joe that opportunity, and it didn't work. And so then, therefore, you've got to, you've got to move on. So, therefore, I mean, that makes this the right call.
1: Uh, and I have to say, you know, uh, I guess it should go without saying. I think sometimes you you look at performance and the the way that things unfold, and you're like, this guy's got to go. We should. Fi-. We talk about people in the realm of sports like they're just utterly disposable, and that, like their lives aren't impacted by these moves. Yeah. And they are. And so from a human standpoint, like again, Joe Girardi's not a bad guy um, I don't think he's a bad baseball guy. Like I I think that he has a place in the game. If he wanted to manage again, does he get a third crack at it? I don't know. But could he be on a staff if he wanted to be? Absolutely. If he wants to go into broadcasting, I think he's pretty good at that. But I I do feel like, I do feel like it was time for them to make this move. I I do. And I know that in our conversations, you could sense that doesn't mean I'm right. Doesn't mean it's going to work, but I just felt like, Okay, we've seen we've seen two plus seasons of this and I was against firing him after 10 games or even 20 games. I think that's unfair. But when you have the expectations that this team had surrounding it, the money that's involved, and despite the deficiencies, there's talent here. He certainly wasn't getting the most out of whatever it is he he had and I do think it was time to make a move and I I don't I'm not in the position here where I want to like commend the Phillies, but from an organizational high-level standpoint I have to say, as a fan, you can be frustrated as hell that this team has been so unsuccessful over the last decade, and you can fault ownership and John Middleton, and and some of their hiring processes, the people that they've brought in to make baseball decisions. And we still, you know, the jury's still out on Dave Dombrowski even. But at this point, I think you can reasonably say, all right, they're they're doing everything within reason here now to make it work. Like their methodology to building the roster is flawed. It's not a perfect team. But they're trying. They're spending. You fire your manager 50 games into the season. Like, that shows aggressiveness. That shows a desire to, to say, we got to get there. And so they're trying like hell. And I've been very critical of the Phillies. You know this. For three, four years, both on this show and in print. But I, I would concede that they, they should be applauded for the way that they're they're handling their business right now. I, I really believe that.
0: Yeah. No, I, I agree with you, Bob. I mean, it's, this is... This is something that, you know, I, I don't know that the previous regime does. I think the previous regime probably lets it fester longer. Um, and maybe not even till the end of the season, for that matter, right? They might let it go that long. Um, so, it, it, you know, and we've seen this from Dombrowski before at, at different levels of the organization where he's come in and, and – Gotten rid of people. Flipped it upside down, gutted it. Yeah, yeah. gotten rid of people and brought new people in. And, you know, maybe the fans don't recognize that so much because it doesn't necessarily translate to what's on the field, right, what they're watching every night. And so it doesn't really register. But the fact of the matter is, is the guy sees what needs to be done, and he does it. And so, again, like you said, jury's still out because there's no guarantee that any moves that he makes ultimately work. But, again, kudos to them for – and I guess him first and foremost, but his his whole team, I mean, he did say he talked to Sam Fold and, and uh, Preston Mattingly and um, I guess uh, Ned Rice, right? I mean, he did say he talked to Ned, too. Um, uh, you know, kudos to them for for recognizing what needs to be fixed and trying to fix it.
1: And he also said that he didn't talk to the players and that he didn't talk to the coaching staff, yeah. and I don't know if that's true, but I know that Dave Dombrowski didn't just wake up, go for a run on Thursday morning. And, and get home and say, yeah, I'm going to fire the manager. Yeah, there, there's definitely some thinking and, and some thought that went into it. Um, and we'll see, you know, we'll see. And so one thing that you said, and I guess we can kind of move past Joe at this point and talk about what we saw more so this weekend. You know, the lineups weren't all that different. Well, there, there's two things that actually did kind of jump out. Uh, t- to me early on and listen the Phillies come out and they win the first two games by a 17-2 to score they're hitting they're pitching it looks great yeah <laughs> like is it is it all that different than anything that Joe would have done probably not but I do think it's interesting that you saw Mickey Moniak get starts in both Friday and Saturday's game and you know, Rob Thompson talked about it afterwards. Like, yeah, like having youthful energy and fresh faces is good. That's, that's great. But so is production. And so we all know that, yeah, you can change up a few names and maybe play the young kids, but they also have to play well. But Bryce Harper had some pretty, I would say, I don't know, strong comments after the game. And they were basically along the lines of, and and I don't need to kind of directly quote them, but the, the, the gist was basically... You have to let them play, and you see that you have a young guy like Bryson Stock go out, and and lo and behold, because you've given him some opportunities here to kind of get his footing, he actually produced. And to me, that, that was sort of telling. Like, was there a frustration internally amongst maybe some of the staff members and some of the players? Like, hey, we have these young guys here, but we're not really letting them rip. We're really not, like, letting them fight through the things that they need to fight through. But at the same time, I can't totally kill Joe Girardi for that because, like, urgency, right? The need to win now. And, like, Bryson Stout was hitting 113 10 days ago. So I, it's it's convenient. Like, it's kind of, like, fun to be like, oh, look, he got to play for four games, five games, and now all of a sudden he's six for his last 18 with three extra base hits, and, and look at him go. But, you know... I, it, was this just like the perfect confluence of events that just made for a great weekend or like, is it really as simple as like we're letting the young kids rip and look, here we are.
0: Yeah, no, I think it's a, I think it's the confluence of events, Bob, and in a lot of ways, I mean, because let's, let's also consider would Bryson Stott have been getting as many opportunities if secure doesn't get hurt. And then if Camargo doesn't get hurt. Right. I mean, like, you know, he's obviously going to play, probably play some second base now. Um, and indeed he's going to be your shortstop. Um, and and like like so so do those opportunities arise. Um the Mickey Moniak thing, um, I, I'm a little I, I'm a little perplexed and a little frustrated by it, in all honesty. Um I know people <laughs> want to see him play. I don't particularly want to see him play. Um I think that it's it's kind of it's kind of unf- I hate to say this because people, <laughs> are, saying, I know what you're gonna people are gonna here. say people are gonna say, how dare you say anything's unfair to O'Double? But <laughs> for God's sake, they're gonna play a platoon with two left-handed outfielders. And tell O'Double you have to be the platoon that faces the left-handed pitching, because Moniak can't hit it. And that's, I mean, you know, if you want to let him rip, let him rip. He's got to play every day. The fact that you're going to platoon him because he can't hit left-handed pitching, and then you're going to put a left-hander in his place, I don't necessarily know if that's ideal, right? So. Um, and Moniak's still hitting what hundred or one eleven, whatever the hell he's hitting. He's
1: he's uh, so far he is two for thirteen this season yeah. uh, with seven strikeouts. So yeah. he's hitting one fifty four with a three sixty eight OPS. I mean, again, it's it's four games, so whatever. But yeah,
0: yeah I mean, I, we can we can we can give him. You want to give him another week or so? Fine, but. It's not
1: there. So I I think that. So yeah. So I think
0: it's I think look.
1: One of these guys is not like the other. Like Nick Maton actually had a a functional season for this team last year and can play a little bit. Yeah. Bryce Scott's like a a legitimate top one hundred prospect who just got off to a slow start but has a little bit of an edge. You kind of feel like yo, this guy can play a little bit. He's still feeling his way along. But there's, there's something here with, with Mickey Moniak, like, uh, maybe, you know, like I'm okay with, with giving him an opportunity. Like I, we've talked about before he earned it in spring training. Like he put himself back on the map was phenomenal. He deserved to make the opening day roster. He gets hurt. That's unfortunate and does a nice job in his rehab assignments and and deserves a look up here. But This idea that, like, yo, we've got to play Mickey Moniak five, six days a week because he's that guy. Like, maybe he is. And, like, I I just don't want to – I don't want to, like, close the book on a guy and say, like, oh, come on, because it is so early. And you got to let him get his feet. And, like, there's something to be said for that. I mean, Mickey Moniak's not 29 years old. It's not like this is his fifth season in the majors and we absolutely definitively know that he can't hack it. But when you watch him play, you kind of see the hole in the swing – you kind of get the sense that, like, maybe this is just a little bit too much for this guy. So yeah, I, I think that one of these things is not like the other when you talk about bringing up the youth and letting guys play.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. I agree one hundred percent. And and that's the thing. And you know, again, Stott. It, I, I, again, I think he he took advantage. You know, I forgot to mention even Mayton Mayton getting hurt. I mean, that happens before Camargo gets hurt. Um, yeah. So so yeah, I mean, he took advantage of an opportunity to play that he was given. Whereas so far Moniak hasn't. Now, again, Moniak's played four games, um, but yeah, I, I, I think you're right. I think that there, there is a legitimate ball player that is a ve- that is obvious in Bryson Stott. He doesn't cower from the like he he thrives in the in the pressure in the pressure spots. We're seeing this. Like we we, so we you know we're, we're seeing him come up and get an opportunity in these in these big spots and games. And he's delivered. He's got even when he got a you know a, a single. I forget what game it was where he came up with two outs and kept a rally going. And, and you know the Phillies where it was one of the games where the Phillies tied it. Maybe they lost. I forget which one of those games in there against either San Francisco or uh, uh, I think it was San Francisco. One of the San Francisco games where he got a, got a hit to extend the inning. Like so, like he's coming up in these late game spots and saying, "Yep, I'm ready for this. I want I, I want this say- role."
1: It's easy to say because if he has a, a hitless game yesterday, strikes out to end the game, I would probably aren't saying this. But you kind of just watch guys, and I think if you watch enough baseball, and you're around it, and like I'll flex a little bit and be like, if you coach it,
0: yeah.
1: and like you, you kind of know if a guy's struggling, you say better days are ahead, and then you kind of know when a guy might might just not really have it yeah and that's sort of my sense when I look at these two players right now I I will say this it's interesting I wrote about this this morning I ended up writing 1600 words I rewrote the story 14 different times because of all the twists and turns at the top but I I talked a little bit about the Phillies really kind of needing a right-handed bench bat and ideally ideally it would be one that could also play center field because what you have now with Moniak and if you want to give him continued playing time for now, because you want to just see, that's that's cool. I, I have no issue with that for now. But if there comes a time where you say, like, this guy can't hack it, the, the moniak Herrera tandem is an imperfect one. It's, it's just less than ideal. Now, listen. I'm going to give O'Double Herrera credit here and forget looking at the overall numbers, but like you just said, they're basically... If the idea is let Moniak rip against righties and, and stick Herrera against lefties, that's kind of unfair to Herrera. I don't know that unfair is the right word, but it, it's certainly not ideal for the player and it's not ideal for for the team. But in in Herrera's defense here, like we're 15 games in now, he's played against lefties. He's had 22 at-bats... 26 plate appearances he's he's hitting 364 with with a 940 OPS against lefties and like I too don't want Odubo Herrera to be the Phillies everyday center fielder and like I wish that they had a young prospect with significant upside that they could play every day and like yeah like let's turn the page and I'm with all of that but given the situation like I'm going to reiterate something I've been saying here and you've been saying now for two months, which is like, you could do a lot worse. And the guy has actually done a very good job. Like he went over to his first two at bats yesterday. Then works a late walk, comes up, gets a hit. Like it's easy to be like, dude, LOL. Like he swung and missed at a pitch behind himself. And like, he does these stupid things. And like, you want to kill the guy, but like the production is the production. And like, I don't get the sense his teammates hate him as much as fans hate him.
0: I don't think so at all. I think the, I think the teammates actually kind of like the guy a little bit. Um, and I saw, uh, there was something I caught on the video actually yesterday, uh, watching the game. And I don't know if you saw it, Bob. I mean, obviously you were down. Were you down there yesterday? You were. I yes. was. So yes. I don't know if you saw saw this, but in in the bottom of the eighth inning, um, we got Odubel at third, and there was that uh, was the ground ball. And yes. and he doesn't come home with doesn't with, go doesn't go right, and and it looks like Dusty I think held him, and the camera co- camera pans to them for a few seconds, and you see them having a conversation, and Dusty's explaining why he held him, and Odubal asks, well in this situation, and Dusty's like, yes, now now that it's one out, obviously you would go because we don't, so I mean you could see that. Maybe he's trying to figure it out. I mean,
1: I don't know. <laughs> oh, <no>. I mean, <laughs> Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Maybe so. Okay. I mean, there's,
0: like, there's a lot of – but there was a lot of communication and a lot of agreement between the two of them, and it's almost – Shouldn't you know that, like, as a freshman in high
1: school? Like, I feel like that's a conversation I'm explaining to a 50-year-old. yes, yeah,
0: I, ag- I agree 100%. We shouldn't <laughs> be teaching fundamentals at the major league level. But at the same time, <laughs> if it, if in fact that's the case and the guy is trying to improve his – base-running gaffes, you got to give him credit for it, right? I mean, if oh, it's yeah. – you know, I mean, there's a, he's having a legit conversation about when it's the right time to go, when it's not the right time to go with his third-base coach in a crucial moment in a game. And it turns out it was the right thing to do. Obviously, they score the – they get the grand slam and they tie the game. You know, what happens if he goes there? Is there a play at the plate and he's thrown out? And that changes the whole dynamic of the inning, right? I mean, so – so there, sometimes you want to, you want to, and and look, he deserves to be criticized I, when, listen, he I his, I, I, like, when he has I totally his, ba- his gaffes. gaffs. But I, I it was give smart, guy, it was great, but <laughs> I want to give the guy credit sometimes for trying to understand.
1: Yeah, after after he played his first game with the uh, Phillies in what 2015. Yeah. So yeah, after seven years, <laughs> he finally decided to ask the third base coach, like, why, why did I go there? Yeah, yeah I, I, I know. I mean, I'm I'm with you in theory of of that like he has been a very valuable player to this team this year. And if he were not on this roster, they would be in a lot of trouble, like a lot more than they they've been in. Um, but all right. I think that for the, the sake of, of the fans listening to this, uh, I think the five minutes of Odubo Herrera after the best win of the season probably is more than they want to hear. And that's my fault. I, I did it. I, I, cause I, I, it's me. Like, I believe that he deserves to play every day, even though I don't want him to like, I mean, just from a baseball standpoint, like, yeah, I do. So we'll see how things play uh, play out with, with Mooneyak and, and Herrera, but then I guess let's talk. There's so many different things that we could talk about with this weekend. I, I'm almost like, hey, you know what? Let's let's just start Friday night, and we don't have to spend too much time, I guess, on the first two games, because I think that, that Sunday's game's obviously the, the game, but man, I tweeted out, and I didn't work Friday night. I was off. I went down, and I covered the press conference, did a little story, and I came home, and I was, I was actually out with a few friends um, at dinner, and we were having some drinks, and I tweeted out, Zach Eflin is one of the city's most underrated athletes, and I was like, kind of like, you know, yeah, like, damn, that's a that's a that's a bold take, and then I really started thinking about it, and I'm like, you know, man, like, actually, like, it's just, that's true, I mean, he he's had a couple rocky starts, uh, specifically against the Mets, mm. twice up in New York uh, in May, and and you take those starts out, which you can't do. And I get that there's you got to paint the whole picture, but even with those starts, I just see a lot in him, and I don't see him as a number two or a number three on a playoff team. But I I, I think he's a damn good four on on a playoff team, and on this team, he's he's their five or maybe interchangeable with Kyle Gibson. So. I don't know, man. Like, are you are you with me on that? Like, I really, really just think that that he's a a damn solid player.
0: I, I like him a lot. Um, I, I really do. I, I I think that I think that there's a lot there. Um, and yes, he's had his he's had his moments. Uh, you know, like you said, he's had a couple of bad starts. But and, and yeah, you know, you're facing a team that you know on Friday night. Uh, and I was down there. By the way, I went looking for you, and you weren't there. I was kind of surprised because uh, I knew you were at the press conference. I was like, "Where the hell did Bob go?" Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, Friday
1: was an off day. Friday was
0: a uh, you got to be kidding me. They're doing this today. That's what Friday was. <laughs> um, but no, but like you know, there's a lot. To, I, there's a lot that we like, and if you go back and listen over the course of you know the off and on three years that we've been doing this this pod, or uh, three and a half now. Um, that there's been a lot of times where we've talked about Zach Eflin and both you and I have felt like, yeah, this guy's ready to to take that next step and, and, and be, you know, a, a top three guy in a rotation. And – you know, he had the injuries, and then he, you know, he had the whole thing where he was fighting with the pitching coach when Gabe was the manager. He didn't want to throw up in the zone. He wanted to keep throwing down in the zone. And then after they, after he just said, "Screw it, I'm gonna do my own thing." He started pitching well again. Um, right now, his numbers are the best numbers of his career. Yeah, he's. Uh, I'll tell you
1: where he, he he's really making some strides and. Teams are hitting worse against him. I mean, he's he's really done a, a better job limiting hits. But I mean, yeah. 51 innings pitched this year, he's he's walked 10 guys. I yeah. mean, that's that's how you end up with a 1.14 WHIP. Yeah. So you look at it, he's made I believe nine starts this season. I would say six have been very good um, lately. I, I would say if you go back to the the end of the end of April. Yeah, I mean, just real quick, six innings, one run against the Rockies. The Mets, he gets he gets beat up, four and a third. That was the Sunday night game, five earned runs. He was really bad. Then he goes on the COVID aisle, but he comes back right off of that. Six innings, one earned. Against the Dodgers, seven innings, two earned. Gets beat up by the Mets again. Then he comes out to the Angels, eight innings. <laughs> I mean, yeah. five hits, no, no earned runs. So, like I said, you know, obviously he has the stumbles against the Mets, but more often than not, he's giving you not just, you know, the six and three. You know, he's not just giving you the quality start, but he's he's giving you above average starts, and and that's the difference. Well, and the funny so, thing was,
0: you want to talk about? I want to talk just real quick about the game Friday night. He gives up, you said he gives up five hits. I'm sitting there, and uh, you know, I took both my boys down, and, and Anthony Junior says to me, he says, "This should be a one hitter, and it should be the only guy leadoff hitter." And and we went through the hits, and I was like, you know what? You're right. He gives off the leadoff leadoff singles, line drive single to left field. The rest of the hits were all beating shifts, like they were balls that, in normal situations or with a or with a, you know, decent defensive team, would have been easy yeah. plays. Like they would have been outs, simple outs, a ground ball outs. So like that that was really kind of the thing. I was like, you know what, you're right. Like there were four hits that the that the, the Angels had that were, were not you know should not have been clean hits they should have been should have been outs um so yeah so that, to, even further the 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 point of how well he pitched on Friday night was was that i mean he was that good yeah i mean
1: he's he's been phenomenal um and you you start to look at like if you go deeper into the numbers and this kind of plays off of exactly what you were just talking about, but this season, this actually includes the bullpen. The Phillies are number five in baseball in terms of limiting hard hits. So like right now the Dodgers have the best hard hit percentages of staff 30, uh, 32.1%. The Phillies are at thirty six point four percent. That's pretty good overall. If you break it down to take just the starters, the Phillies are actually the best in baseball at limiting hard contact against opponents. and you go, all right, well, what the hell does that really mean? Well, yeah, you know, I know sometimes we look at these like stack cast numbers or these FanGraphs number numbers and we go, ah, like come on, just you know, what's the ERA? What's the batting average? What's the result? But I mean, you can look at this from a logical perspective and say, if if you're holding opponents to weak contact, generally speaking, good results are going to follow. Right. And so you look at the performance of this rotation overall this year, what you're getting is an elite season from Zach Wheeler. You're getting a pretty good season from Aaron Nola. You're you know, I'll credit Ranger Suarez to the extent that he is not the same guy he was a year ago. His location has been really on and off. He's he's really fought it, but I think that that's the best way to kind of sum up what you've seen from him. He's he's fought it. You know, he he hasn't completely imploded. So you're hoping that he can find it, but I do think that there's some some red flags there with him. You hope he turns the corner, Gibson. Really good for three innings yesterday. Falls apart in the fourth. Didn't get much help from his defense, which we can talk about later. But Eflin to me is the guy that's kind of tilted this rotation, despite some of the concerns. There is is kind of stabilized this thing where you
0: say it's a pretty good rotation. Well, there's no doubt. There's no doubt. It's it's it's, it's become the strength of the team. And and, and it was something. It was something. I, it was something I was. I, and I admit it, Bob. We're gonna go back to the beginning of, when we first started the season this year. I was like. Yeah, I hope this I hope this rotation holds up. Like I was worried about, you know, Wheeler throwing as much as he did last year and then coming coming in, you know, late coming off of the injury and in spring training and um, you know, I was worried about, you know, Noah being, you know, Noah, you know, having those games where he's had good games, but then all of a sudden he gives up the long ball or, you know, you start to wonder why he can't win big games. I thought that could be a problem. You know, you wonder what Eflin you're going to get. Is Kyle Gibson the guy who pitched Lights out for the for, for um, Texas the first half of last year, uh, or is he the guy who started to leak oil towards the end of the year for the Phillies? Uh, like you know, is, and can Ranger match what he did last year? Like I mean, I was a little concerned that, that they would take a step back. Well, they haven't. They haven't. Right. As a group, they've been the strength of this team, and if they can stay on this pace, the yeah. Phillies are going to get back into the playoff race. It's very simple. If they if they pitch the way that they can be that they've pitched this year, they'll they'll be there. They'll be in the ring. Whether they get there or not, I don't know. But they'll but they'll be in the conversation for sure.
1: Yeah, and so I mean, so far right now in the National League, there are forty three starting pitchers that have thrown at least fifty innings, and I'm using fifty as the. As the number, because Eflin's thrown 51. And at the top of Fangraph's war, you have Zach Wheeler at 1.9. You have Zach Eflin, who's actually number two on the Phillies at 1.3. Uh, actually, Aaron Noel is right behind him. So Eflin's 11th overall. Noel is 12th. And then you scroll down and you have Gibson at uh, 14th. So, I mean, they're, they have they have four of the top 14 guys in, in war among National League starting pitchers. Uh, that have thrown at least 50 innings. And, I mean, that, that's where you say this is this rotation holds up a little bit. It, it goes a little bit more than ERA. Now, each of these guys, other than Wheeler, there's things that are annoying, a little bit concerning. You want to see a little bit more consistency. But there's been enough good there where I think you can kind of step back and say, yeah, you feel good about this. Yeah. So, Saturday night, they come out. Uh, they they grab an early lead. Um, you know, I thought Zach Wheeler was, was really – was really good again just to be able to watch him pitch at the top of the zone and challenge hitters the way that he does with the fastball and beat them i mean it's just it's awesome watching him pitch you know it's i know that when we we look at the phillies over the last 20 years we think about guys like uh, you know kurt schilling and and obviously roy halliday cliff lee cole hamels I, i'm not sure like and i know like peak halliday and and some of the runs that that lee went on where like he put together two months and he had like a one one era I know that those guys are probably more dominant, maybe um, for stretches. But when I watch Wheeler pitch, it's like it's like masculine or something. It's just like I'm I'm coming at you. You know I'm coming at the top of the zone and I'm gonna just beat you. And like yeah, he can induce ground balls and he can be efficient at times. But just watching him like finally use that fastball to miss bats. We talked about that when when the Phillies signed him. Remember the conversation we had like. Yeah, the guy throws 97, 98 miles an hour. He doesn't strike anybody out, and now you're you're just watching him. Just you know, not that he's ripping off twelve Ks per nine, but he can beat you when he needs to.
0: Yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, he's he's been he's been sensational. He really yeah. has. I mean, it, it. You know, I thought last year was was going to be, uh, you know, the it best. Was, of- like the best. Yeah, I thought that we were going to see that. Okay, and he's got to come back, right? I mean, he's got to fall back a little bit from there. Oh no. Uh, he's been wow. he's been as good, questionably maybe even better at times this year. I mean it's he's on top. I mean look sometimes. at
1: this. You're talking about I mean just 57 and a third innings pitched, 10.5 <laughs> Ks per nine, less than two and a half walks per nine. I mean the ERA is is actually higher than than what it what it should be. I mean. So you look at the expected ERA; it's actually 2.82 to his 3.14. The fielding independent 2.3. I mean, he's he's been awesome, and I mean, there, there's probably more to more to be had there when you look at some of the more traditional numbers. So you have to feel good about that. I thought it was a good win Saturday night in the sense that you had this electrifying performance on on Friday night, new manager, new energy, all that stuff, and then it's easy for this team, and we've seen it so many times, to have the immediate letdown. Which, which they didn't have, which then brings me to, unless there's anything else you want to talk about with Saturday's game. No. That brings me to Sunday. And if the Phillies would have lost yesterday 6-2, to two, I think you could have stepped back and said, hey, listen, I know the Angels were on this massive losing streak, but it's still a good ball club. You know, two out of three, good series win, stabilizes things. But it's it's so Phillies to not just drop the hammer, you know, get the sweep. They were eight games under 500. Like, two out of three is nice, but they've got to stack wins. they got to sweep some series to really make a move and get themselves back into this thing. And it doesn't look like it's going to happen. And so here's where we can start to bring in the negatives because we know it's going to finish with a resounding positive. You get into that fourth inning, and, you know, Kyle Gibson hits a little bit of a wall. He starts getting hit around, and it's on him. It's on him more than anybody. But compounding the issue is that you get a ground ball to Alec Bohm, who we know has been better at third base, actually made a couple nice plays over the weekend as well. But he gets a, a like a two hop bouncer and he kind of backs up on it. And that's okay because he was sort of in between. But if you watched it in real time, you could see there was a hesitation and he shoots his eyes to second base thinking, Ooh, do I have a play there? No, I don't. Now he pumps, puts the ball in the glove and then goes across the diamond and safe. And that's a play that can't happen. You know, it's not its not a, a boot, it's not a poor throw, but it's that uh, indecision, just that lack of feel for, who are my runners, how was this ball hit, and that brief hesitation cost them. And, it you know, all five runs in that inning were earned, but it was a play that extends the inning, gives a team an extra out, and like, that's the type of play, the Phillies talked about it, Rob Thompson talked about it on Friday, they've got to make the routine play, we're not going to make the spectacular ones, we're limited. But we got to make the routine play. Jesus, that's a play that you have to freaking make.
0: Yeah. No, no, there's no doubt. There's no doubt defense is, is still killing them. I mean, if you, it's just, it, it, it's funny. You, you had mentioned, you know, the, the pitchers, you know, um, the, the stats for the pitchers, right? Like their ERA and, and, and expected ERA. Well, when your expected ERA is, is lower than your actual ERA, well, that's an, that's an indication that defense kind of stinks behind you. When you're fielding independent pitching, uh number is, is what it is and, and you compare it to um you know the, the way teams are hitting again you know look at look at the, here's another one look at batting average on balls in play for the starting pitchers you know and, and then and then look at what it should be what, what, what their actual batting average against is I mean it's it's unbelievable how bad the defense really really is like you don't there's games we don't see it because there's you know the errors aren't listed there's no errors or you know, it's, but we're not watching, we're not looking at range ratings and things like that.
1: Yeah, I actually have this in front of me. Uh, I was able to just bring it up right as you were saying it. Yeah. And so here you go. Among National League teams, uh, so the Phillies have the fourth highest batting average of balls in play. So we talk about how the staff limits hard contact are outstanding at this. Yeah. Overall, they have pretty good numbers, but they still have the fourth-highest batting average of balls in play at 306. Colorado, Washington, San Francisco are the three teams ahead of them. So, I mean, they are um, – I mean, I, I don't want to oversimplify it, but what that tells you is that they are unlucky. They're not getting the results that you would expect given the contact well, that they're
0: inducing. The, the pitchers are unlucky. Yes. The team no, isn't yes. unlucky.
1: No, the team isn't – the, the team's getting exactly what it deserves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so then along those same lines, later in the inning, Reese Hoskins, ground ball to first base. Yep. He spins, goes to second. It's the right read if he can make the throw, but he can't. It's high. I believe it was Camargo that was on the bag. I'm not totally sure. Yes. Maybe it was Stott. Yeah, it, it was Camargo. Um, it was Camargo on the bag, you know, and he, he gets pulled up. And again, so they gave the Angels five outs in that inning. And and no, it doesn't show up as, as an unearned run, but like, you know, these are plays that have to be made. And even after the, and I, I kind of wish we didn't, have it flow just like this but even after the Bryce Harper Grand Slam you come out and and Corey Canable who we talked about in our last show and is it time to move on from him as closer and, and in any other normal year we would be having this conversation. Well we might get to actually have this conversation now because just absolutely unacceptable in the ninth inning. Just unacceptable you get the moment of the season and I know there've been a few the Harper home run in Atlanta and they've blown these games this was the moment. Like, this was the signature Bryce Harper moment in a Phillies uniform. You can argue 2019 against the Cubs, the walk-off Grand Slam. I'm telling you, the fans, the the, the moment, the feeling in the stadium, this was the moment. And he comes out and he walks Kurt Suzuki? Like, come on, dude. Like, yep. and then, you know, this this a week after you, you looking everybody in the eye and saying, like, I've been really good, actually. Like... Give me a give me a break, and Reese Hoskins Reese Hoskins. It's not an error, but it's a ball that a, an average to above average th- defensive first baseman he makes that play. Yep. So Corey Knebel, give me a break. Reese Hoskins, like, dude, everyone loves you. You're a good guy. I like you. I listened to you on the telecast Saturday night when you were miked up at first base. You're funny. We know that you can you have some upside in your bat, but like, come on, man. Yeah. and It'll that's happen- my yeah. problem
0: like it's all good with the Phillies but it's not all good right no I mean again that's that's six times in a month that he's that Knebel has collapsed or or had a situation where they needed to, they needed him to have a shutdown inning and he just didn't have it six times in a month and he's had 12 appearances in that same span so he's 50 50 when you bring him in 50-50. Is that what you want out of your closer?
1: No, not to not to be the guy. Not, not at 10 mil. Nope. And I, I think he's a guy – I'm just going to say this. I think he's a guy that in that locker room, he's like, Philly, huh? You know, I, I just think he's a, a guy that's adjusting to his surroundings a little bit.
0: Yeah. I'll, I'll say that. Yeah. Well, so. I mean, it, so the way I look at it now is when you really think about it, the Dodgers don't make a lot of bad moves, right? Obviously, they're they win the division every year. right? I mean, yeah, they spend more money than 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 anyone, but they look. They knew they were losing Kenley Jansen uh, in free agency, who was their closer for forever. Did they make an effort to keep Corey Knebel? <laughs>
1: maybe a modest one uh, you know, for, I don't
0: know. who knows right like yeah that was uh that was an early signing for the
1: phillies yeah. too so i mean like you know it wasn't like uh hey let's keep in touch and we'll figure it out i mean they they obviously didn't want him want him that badly correct I, I don't know i mean he's, this is a guy that has a good track record um you know coming off of a, a pretty good season he, he was obviously good for the brewers uh, a couple years back but um he's he's got to be better i mean listen The the Phillies can can solve things offensively. It looks like they they may have after a weekend in which they scored, what, 17 plus uh, 9, 26 runs in three games. You start to look like going into, uh, at, at some point during the Giants series, the Phillies had fallen to like 13th in OPS. and. Now you're, they're back top ten, top I think seven in runs per game, OPS is like seven or eight, slugging's like top six, like the numbers are looking really good after this weekend. But they've got to figure it out at the back end, and if they don't want to do it with Sir Anthony Dominguez because they they want to use him in the high leverage spots and wrap around innings, seventh, eighth, okay. But like if is going to be this bad, they they're going to you know it, the situation's going to force their hand. All
0: right, I, I, I was going to save it for one last thing, Bob. Well, this is... I, I, I wanted to point, well, you know, I will, I will, we'll, we'll get back to this. Okay. We'll get back to this. I, I, I got, right. I, got something, so, I got, I got, I got one last thing. That could be a hmm, solution for the Phillies on right. the back end of the bullpen.
1: So it's going to take us uh 40, 47 and a half minutes to kind of arrive at the moment that everybody's talking about, or the two moments that everybody's talking about, but I'll tell you, I was there yesterday covering the game and, <laughs> up comes Bryce Harper. And I'm thinking to myself, this game's over. You know, I've I've long had in my story, hey, good weekend here, but God, Phillies, like, make the plays. JT Realmuto come through in that third inning, you know. They were 0 for 8 after Reese Hoskins struck out in the eighth inning with runners in scoring position. And had they stranded the three that Harper ultimately brought in, they would have stranded 13 runners on base. So a handful of bad plays, coupled with all these missed opportunities. And you're like, that's the Phillies. Like, and yes, Rob Thompson might have a new energy here, but this is the Phillies. Bryce Harper changes all of that. He obviously comes to the plate and I'm looking around and I'm like, damn, it's pretty loud here. And there was a good crowd yesterday and it got loud. He works the count to three, two. It gets very loud. And I was telling you this before we recorded, I I looked up and I kind of just panned the stadium and I looked out to left field And there were a few rows actually out in the left field bleachers. I don't know if they just brought them themselves or what, but I start to see these like white rally towels whipping around. And I'm like, damn, I'm like, haven't, haven't seen that a while, you know, like other than maybe like an opening day or something. And before you could blink, here comes the pitch and, and Harper goes just off on it. And it was, it was one of those moments. Like you talk about if a team does get somewhere and plenty of teams don't The Phillies have not in recent years. But if a team gets somewhere at the end, you say, that was was the game. That was the moment. Like, you have to have those moments. And we talked a couple weeks ago about the Phillies wasting the best of Bryce Harper and not giving him the opportunity to have these moments in October. Mm -hmm. Well, yesterday, they did just enough and had a couple good enough at-bats to give him a shot at a moment. And God damn, did he deliver. I mean, just an unbelievable, an unbelievable swing, an unbelievable moment for that team, and it
0: was it was awesome. Well, I'll tell you, I'm stunned at the pitch. I mean, here's here's Joe. when I, I joked about Joe Madden at the beginning of the of the of the of the pod today, but Joe Madden's a guy who intentionally walked Corey Seager with the bases loaded earlier this year because he didn't want to face him. Now, I'm, I'm just not certain that he wanted to intentionally walk Bryce Harper <laughs> to load, with the bases loaded here. Although, if you've done it with Corey Seager, you could, so you could justify doing it with Bryce Harper, I guess. But when you get to – you know, it get you know, gets out ahead of him 1-2, and then they start getting – they want him to chase a couple pitches. He doesn't. He lays off. Okay. He works he fouls one off. When you're a 3-2, why are you challenging Bryce Harper? With, with Castellanos on deck, who's not been great lately, and it would be a righty-righty matchup. Like, why? And not only are you not challenging him, first pitch of the at-bat was a changeup. If you recall, Harper, Harper tried to sweep, swung for the fences first pitch. He was trying to get that fastball to put it out. He was out in front of it. It was a changeup. Was a good pitch, right? Mm-hmm. But when you throw that change-up first pitch, isn't that likely a pitch you're going to come back to when you're looking to strike the guy out at the end? 3-2? I mean, usually a 3-2 pitch is going to be the same pitch that you get 0-0. And a lot of times, a lot of it bats. So you're going to go back to that changeup again, and you know he's a smart hitter. Not only that, he's actually tried to throw it 2-2, and Harper fouled it off. So three times went to that changeup in the same spot, and this one just was a little bit higher. And it just and he puts it out of the park, I, great great work, great professional at bat by Harper. I'm not trying to take anything away from Harper, but what the hell are you thinking? Especially yeah. when especially when you look at Iglesias's career numbers against Harper. Right. Harper, and Harper's had success. Had, yeah. had great success against them. So I don't understand. I don't understand it at all. I really just don't. I think it was poor management, poor pitch call, pitch selection. I, it was one of those things where a week ago that was the Phillies. And we're sitting here bitching and complaining about Kniebel doing that, right? I mean, that's that's exactly what it was. Um, but, but yes, you're right. What a moment! What a great moment! Um, I mean, I got I got excited. I was sitting in my house and uh, just watching the game. And uh, yeah, and, uh, they were down six. When they were down. I'm like, right, I gotta go over and go do some work. And I was sitting on the computer, and you know, you had a couple of guys on. I'm like, All right, you know, go back over, watch it, you know, check it out, see what's going on. And Harper comes up, and I'm like, man, this would be this would be something if he did this. Yeah. And then you could get, like, and, uh, look, Schmidt's not the greatest broadcaster, but there are moments that he has where he ca- he has a sense for things, right? And he had a sense for it in the night. And I, I, I give him a lot of credit for yesterday, broadcasting that game. He had a sense that Harper was going to do what he did, and then he did it. And he also had a sense that Bryson Stott was going to come up with a hit now he didn't think he was going to hit the home run, but he he also had a sense in the tenth inning or in the ninth inning that Stott was going to come up and 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 it was a good matchup for him against against that pitcher. Um and he's like, this is this is good. This is going to work for the Phillies. I could see him getting that single. and and then he hits the home run. So like it, it's kind of that that ball player's instinct, right? that you could guide and it really kind of I, I think it was good for for fans watching it on TV. But man, yeah, that was it was the win of the year, Bob. It was it was the win of the year, and it could be the one, like you said earlier in this pod, that turns this season around.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean I totally you, with you on the calls. I mean uh, I thought Tom McCarthy did a good job, crook, you know, going, Yeah, baby, yeah. like as soon as the contacts made, yeah. Schmidt sets it up, McCarthy executes it. Obviously, Scott Fransky. And you know, like one of the one of the best things in Philadelphia sports is if when the Phillies do have a big moment fransky gets to call it and he crushes it and you hear larry anderson in the background with like a laugh like a yeah. like you yeah. know one of those and i mean you knew like i'm in the stadium I, I wasn't listening to either broadcast i was just there but i knew right away i was like we got to get the calls we got to pull them and put them up on the website because you knew that they were both going to be awesome and I, I thought that both both guys kind of rose to the occasion and made sure that they they adequately captured the moment so credit to them um, you know, looking at Bryce Harper just just quickly here, I almost feel like we don't talk about Bryce Harper enough on this show. And you know, he wins the MVP last year and hits 309 with a 1.044 OPS and 181 OPS plus. He's a guy was just awesome, right? And now this year, you look at it, and they're one third of the way through the season now, and he's tracking he's tracking 39 home runs, which would beat his 35 from a year ago. He's hitting 309 on the nose again. His slugging percentage is actually 13 points higher than it was a year ago. And his OPS is 997. It's actually a little bit less because he's not walking as much right now. And I think that there's two reasons for that. One, he's got a much better and much deeper lineup around him. So, you know, pitchers are going to have to naturally challenge him a little bit more, even with the struggles of guys like Nick Castellanos sitting behind him. And the other thing is he's swinging at the first pitch far more. Now, I know that some people have speculated, and actually I was on Joe Giglio's show on, uh, I'm going to say Thursday night, last Thursday, yeah, and Joe had said, you know, you, I'm sure you've noticed that he's swinging at the first pitch more. I said, yep, and he said, do you think that there's anything to that about, you know, hey, does it hurt when he swings and misses, and maybe he's just trying to to get to the, the end line a little bit quicker, or is it bats? What do you think about that? Well, I know I... That's, that's, that's more speculatory, and I think that Joe asked it at the time, especially because... You know he had missed the game before, and they had sat him with the forearm tightness. And
0: well, let's put it this way, Bob. It, it, it's no secret, right? In baseball, the the pitch that you have the best chance of getting a hit, best batting average, best on base, best slugging, everything is zero zero. Correct? Yep. And just just in general. I mean, not anybody, not Harper specifically. Any any player. So. I think Harper now realizes that, like you said, because he's getting, he's finally getting some pitches to hit because of the guys that they have around him. He's trying to take advantage of it. I think it's that simple. I think so, I, I think uh, it's very, it's, I, think, I, don't, I think it's as basic as basic gets. That teams realize, well, okay, do we really want to pitch around this guy and then run the risk of Castellanos? Who, okay, maybe he's not putting up the same numbers as he did last year, but he's still a dangerous hitter putting another base runner on with him coming up. I mean, it's, it's a pick your poison kind of thing. And, and Harper Harper is just, he's like, I'm going to go first pitch. Let's go. Here we go.
1: Yeah. He has more home runs on the first pitch this season than he does in, you know, any other count or any other pitch number of an at bat. So far, he's had 38 plate appearances end on the first pitch this year. He's 15, for 36, he's hitting 417 with a 1.056 slugging percentage and a 1.477 OPS on the first pitch this season. He's also done considerable damage, though it's only in ten plate appearances on 1-0 counts. Uh, he's been really good in 1-1 counts as well, hitting 500, 3-1 counts, uh, hitting 667. So I mean, he's obviously been good and follows a trend of what you'd expect deep in counts when you have the advantage. Uh, he's been really good as well. But wait, um, wait, I wait, mean you uh, see uh, just the volume of the bats just ending on the first pitch and he's he's been awesome. Yeah.
0: Awesome. Not only but not just that, and you, you pointed out earlier, you know, he's on pace for thirty nine home runs, which would be the second most in his career, besides the forty two he hit in his uh, first MVP year in twenty fifteen in Washington. He's on pace right now, and this is no joke, for fifty seven doubles. Yeah. Think about that number. That's close to a major league record. I think the major league record 61 or 62, something along those lines. He's on pace for 57 doubles and 30 and uh, 39 home runs. You know, he's he's
1: almost pushing. He's pushing a hundred extra base hits at this rate. Well, he leads (laughs)
0: the majors in extra base hits at this point. Right. Uh, And yeah, you're right. He would be, I, I think he's on pace exact for exactly 100. Yesterday was the third, like the third, one third of the season. That, lock, that, that locked up 33% of the season yesterday.
1: Yeah, here you go. Most doubles in a season is Earl Webb, actually, in uh, I don't know what year he did it. 1931! So, just a real quick, just to put this in context, because I wanna. I actually wanna explain if he if he ends up with 57 doubles, like what that would really mean. Just listen to this real quick. Earl Webb 67 doubles in 1931. George Burns in 26. Joe Medwick in 36 at 64. Greenberg in 34. Paul Wagner in 32. Like the top five six guys in doubles are like all from the 1920s and 1930s. When when big when when
0: that's all you did was hit doubles because the the fences were so far away, right?
1: Right. And so like you have to go to Todd Helton in 2000 when he hit 59 doubles for like a modern era, uh, you know, doubles leader. And and where did he play? Castellanos at 58 in 2019.
0: And where did and where did where did Helton play?
1: Uh, yeah, and Helton played in Coors Field. And so Nick Castellanos is really the king of doubles, if you, yeah, if you want to remember.
0: Of, of the modern day, of right? Of the modern era in
1: 2019, 58 doubles. So how about that? Yeah, so, so Bryce that's... Harper's coming for
0: you, Castellanos. Yeah, that's right. But, I mean, seriously, I mean, if, if, with one-third of the season, he's on pace for 57 doubles, 39 home runs, and three triples, which would get you 100 extra base hits. Yeah, yeah that... it's just
1: a special, a special season. You know, uh, you look back at guys that play in the city and – you talk about Schmidt and, and Dr. J and the guys that they were a little bit, you know, early for me, but, uh, I mean, this is, this may be sustained, you know, being the key word. Cause Alan Iverson obviously is a hall of fame player, but I don't know. I mean, a little bit more of a flash in the pan. Honestly, I, I actually really look at Iverson's career and the, just there's not as much longevity as, as you'd hope. Ah, uh, he, he may be the guy in the last, 30 years, you know, the, the, well, he's the, the, he's the, the best, best player. I, he's the best
0: Philly since, since Schmidt. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it just, I mean, and no, that's, I, made, I, that's I, no disrespect I, to the Rollins, Utley Howard trio. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, those guys were fantastic and they had sustained success too, but they didn't, they weren't doing what he's doing.
1: And it just goes back to what we talked about. I mean, those guys won a championship. Those guys played in a lot of important games. Yeah. They produced in those games. And, and that's what, that's what separates him. But when you look at the numbers and the statistics, that's where you hope for Bryce Harper that there is an opportunity. Because, man, Thanks. how about uh, real quick before we we get to one last thing here? Yeah, what do you think of Mike Trout this weekend?
0: Yeah. O oh, for twenty-seven, I think he is now. It's the worst stretch of his career. O oh, for the weekend? Yeah. Well, I mean, let's I let's know. be let's be fair. I think he was robbed of at least three hits in the weekend. Um, Mayton's uh play that he hurt himself on on that blue pit that should have been a hit d- dives and makes yeah. the catch. Uh, Oduble playing left field uh, on Friday night, filling in for Schwarber late, um, dove and robbed Trout of a hit. And then Stott made a hell of a play yesterday uh, in the hole, um, and threw out Trout of first base. That was sh- that was a surefire single as well. So Yes, he did. He went 0 for the weekend. He is 0 for twenty seven, longest stretch of his career uh, without a hit. Um, but at the same time, he, he was a little bit snake bit.
1: You know how like Russ tweets out because he like thirsts for likes on Twitter so hard. <laughs> like he'll do like the like Mike Trout's overrated or like yeah. he stinks or he's a coward. Like I don't I don't have that that take really. But I I will say like I don't care about Mike Trout, and I don't know if it's because I'm miserable or if I'm just become this like grizzled baseball guy, but like I'm a South Jersey guy, South Jersey baseball coach. Like he is the, the guy, you know, I mean, and all the writers, all the high school writers, they come to see him and, and you know, great. I, I get it. I, I just don't care. I don't care. I live 45 minutes away from Millville. It doesn't matter to me. I don't care that he plays for the angels. I, I just, I don't root against him. Like he's a great player. And like, when he's on TV, like I I might stop to watch it if it's convenient for me, but like, eh, I just, he does nothing for me. Like one way or the other, like when he's at the Eagles games, like I'm not like, Oh, there's Trouty. Like he's an Eagles fan. Go birds. Like, I don't care. I actually think it's kind of weird that he gets like footballs from the players and stuff. I just, just don't care. It does. doesn't register at all for me at all. I didn't, I didn't like feel like I was watching greatness this weekend. I just didn't care.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not trying to be like takey here. I just like Eh, whatever. And honestly, the reason we went Friday is because the boys wanted to see Trout. Yeah, and and
1: so did probably 30% of the people that were down there this weekend. You know. A lot of Trout jerseys and all that. And yeah, I don't know. It just doesn't do anything for me. And it does for other people, and that's awesome. Like, he's a great player. He's, he's arguably the, the best player in the game. Like, I'm not trying to take anything away from him at all. I just don't care. Do you think I, I would have? I was more interested in seeing but- Otani, who's not having a very good season play. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, a, from- I'm not
0: an Otani fan.
1: Yeah, I just wanted, you know, I just thought it was cool to see it. You yeah, know, yeah. The first time For I've sure. seen him play. For
0: sure. But, you um,
1: know, not a great weekend, not really having a great season.
0: No. Uh, do you think – I mean, obviously, you know, they got off to a great start this year. They've now lost 11 in a row. They're now under five hundred after being starting the season 27 and 17. They're now yeah. 11. He's going to get
1: fired. He's going to get fired. Well,
0: no, Madden, I agree. But do, do you think Trout at some point decides enough's enough and he decides to opt out of that contract? I don't know you know I think that
1: that people were having this conversation about Bryce Harper five days ago they're both very both very similar you know I was I was actually talking to somebody earlier today about both Trout and Harper and like there are these great players who've put up great numbers in their future Hall of Famers and they they have had no playoff success I mean Trout's only been there once I believe I, I gotta say like I do wonder, like, long-term, like, if the Phillies couldn't figure it out, I think the Phillies will continue to spend, and I know that, that the Angels are big spenders as well. But I do wonder, like, if at some point either one of these guys were to say, I just, this isn't working, let's change it up. Trout is on the Ken Griffey track. You know, maybe three different playoff appearances. I think Griffey made the playoffs in, like, 95 and 97 with the Mariners, and then once later in his career he was in the postseason. Griffey had like the moment, though, in that 95 series against the Yankees. Like, there was a moment at least. Trout hasn't had any of that. No. And so, yeah, to your point, like, I, I wonder, yeah, I wonder if there's a day where it gets there. Maybe not 2023, but does one day he say, like, yeah, I need to change the scenery? It would have been cool if he came back here. Like, my God, like, could you imagine? But the amount of pressure and the expectations and spotlight on him would have been uh, just unbelievable.
0: Yeah. Like, I wonder, I wonder what his deal is out in, you know, cause we're not out there with the, uh, you know, with the angels. I mean, I know, I know that, you know, he has a no trade clause. I know there's no opt. When I say, would he opt out? He doesn't
1: opt out. He have an, op- he doesn't
0: actually have an opt out clause in the contract. That doesn't mean that he can't force his hand and, and, and get himself traded somewhere. Um, I, I, I guess the question is, does he have the same kind of situation in LA that Harper has here where Harper kind of serves as like an assistant GM in a lot of ways with yes. the Phillies, right? So like Har- Harper is is asked his opinion and and like he kind of weighs in on things. Does Trout have that kind of you know cachet out in in uh, in Anaheim? And if he doesn't, does that does that mean like the, is that something that makes him want to say okay I, I want to go somewhere else and chase this? Well, when you signed a twelve year four
1: hundred and twenty six million dollar contract with a twenty million dollar signing bonus. You have to you have to wonder. I mean, you would think he has some say because he's there through 2030 at 35 million dollars a year. <laughs> so, you know, but yeah, to your point, I do wonder like he'll be he'll be 31 next year, 32 in 2024. I would think that that would be the breaking point.
0: Yeah. He gets
1: to 32, 33 years old. He's got maybe two or three more pretty good years left after that cuz you assume that those last two couple, 2-3 two, years, he's 38 the final year of
0: his deal. Yeah, he's he's a he's pool host at that point, right?
1: Yeah, he's got like three to four more really, really, really good years here before he becomes pretty good. I do wonder if in the next two years he says like we gotta pull the plug, we gotta do something different. And if the Angels aren't getting where they want to go, then would they be open to it? Because I do you, you wonder. You you say, Okay, like we we want to win too and you're a great player, but this formula isn't working. Right. So yeah, something to keep an eye on. Yeah. All
0: right, what do you got on the uh, one last thing front? So one last thing, usually I don't do Phillies. We, we've had this conversation before. Usually I try, every once in a blue moon, I, I, I throw something at you that, that though is Philly related uh, for one last thing. And and I I, I kind of, was, you know, just kind of looking around, they're, they're, you know, their minor league system is so bereft of talent. I mean, at, at the upper levels, obviously, um, you know, we, we know that they, we know that some of the young kids that they have down in single A, they're really excited about, and, you know, a couple of years down the road, maybe they'll eventually be something. But a name, I came across a name yesterday and I completely forgot that he came back to baseball last year um, after retiring in 2017. Um, and then came back last year, and, and I completely forgot because he was so miserable last year, I guess, when you go back and look at his numbers with both Redding and, and Lehigh Valley. But have you noticed what Mark Capel's doing with Lehigh Valley now?
1: Yeah, Alex Coffey of the Inquirer wrote a uh, feature about his resurgence. He's been really good.
0: As a closer um, yeah. for the first time in his career. Yeah. Um, only has three saves so far, but 22 innings. And he's his whip is 1.03. Seven, I mean, his strikeout not his strikeout rate isn't quite there. I mean, it's like if you're if you're thinking major leagues, you know, you want a higher strikeout rate because you want somebody who throws the ball really hard and strikes guys out, misses a lot of bats. But could that be a guy, Bob, as we move forward here, and you're you're wondering not to say to come in and be the closer, but maybe be a guy and say you know what, we finally found a role for this guy after all the ups and downs, former number one overall pick in the draft, um, you know, had his struggles at, at both, both with the Astros and here, retired, now trying to attempt to come back at age 30 or 29, whatever he is, 29 or 30. Is that a guy you say, let's see. Let's see if it plays in the you know, late innings in the major leagues.
1: Probably worth a look when you consider the lack of depth that this bullpen has. It, it, you know, at the front end of it, especially. Um, he's a he's an older guy. It's not like you're forcing a young kid into a, a weird situation. You, you think about his struggles, and are his in struggles indicative of just simply not being able to elevate his game at higher levels, or does he or has he learned from those struggles? And he's not trying to be a. a you know, cash in on the, on the projections of a first round pick of a top pick um, from being that guy that he was at Stanford. I mean, I remember watching him pitch at Stanford, you know, back, I think it's 2013. I want to say was his senior year there uh, or before he came out, I should say. And he was, he was unbelievable at Stanford. I yeah. mean, the career that he put together there was just, was just phenomenal. And you go back to like 2014, he comes out and he's a consensus top 20 prospect across the game. I mean, I actually have it in front of me here now. Looking at this, I mean, Jonathan Mayo from uh, from MLB. dot com had him number seventeen overall. Baseball America had him number thirty nine. Baseball Prospectus tw- number twenty one. He failed and he failed miserably to the point where he was he was out of the game. It was over. He retired. So now he comes back and there's something here, and I would love to see him get a crack at it. I don't know what he will be, but does he deserve an opportunity if he can keep this up down there? Yeah, hell yeah.
0: I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like I mean, it's it's, it's just a great story. It's a great story it's, if he does. If it if it, it, it would be a great story if he does. It would be better than Daniel Bard in a lot of ways, yeah. um, it, because the, I think the thing of it was is that you know you look at it. And he, first of all, he was drafted three times. If I'm not mistaken, is that correct? Yeah, he, he went back in. Yeah, like, he, like Detroit, and then no, and then Pittsburgh, and then that, whatever happened there. He never signed with the Pirates, and then the Astros took him first overall the third time, yeah. um, and then. But he, for all this time since twenty thirteen, it's always been well. He's going to be a top end of the rotation starter, top end of the rotation starter, and he was starter, 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 and then like then he retired because he gave it because he couldn't get it together, and then after four years he comes back last year. Like I said, I completely forgot that he came back last year, and he was still a starter, and then it was like okay, this guy can't start, and really just kind of like made him like a long reliever kind of thing, and that was it. Yeah. And then this year he's still back again, so they must see something there. Like I mean, if you if you're willing to have a guy be in the minor leagues for seven years, right? I mean, there must be something that you still see there. And now all of a sudden you say, okay, we're going to turn you into a closer and see what happens. Yeah. and I he mean, gets it's a, 20, like the of- twenty. Yeah, I mean, well, twenty-two innings while is a small sample size in a in a not relief role. Small. It's not that small. That's my point. Yeah. It's not yeah. that small of a sample. Um, so that's what I'm saying. It's like, I wonder, you know, if he gives you another, you know, 10, 15 innings like this and you, you get to the all-star break and you're looking at your bullpen and say, we, we need to fix something in there. We need another arm in there. I, 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 think, it's a, I think it's something that might be worth considering.
1: Uh, I, I agree. And that is a, such a nice way to end things. But because we're, we are who we are, I, I want to just say one thing that I forgot here. I have it in my notes, and I, I want to bring it up. Go ahead. John Camargo oh yeah gets hurt exits the game yeah i was gonna
0: ask you about this i forgot about this too yeah
1: and i said damn i said you know i know they don't have a lot of middle infield depth to bring up and i admittedly am not like a a minor league hawk you know i'm not like the guy that's checking checking the box scores across the system every night so i just said you know what would be a really good story what if, like, Scott Kingery came back up? So I, wonder what, I wonder what Scott's doing this year. I was like, he's probably... I, look I it's know, because we, we haven't heard anything. Because we haven't heard anything. I'm like, I know it's not good. I was like, but let me just see how bad it is. And I'm like, maybe he's hitting 230, and they just say, hey, listen, we know that you've played up here before. You can at least catch the ball if it's hit to you. Whatever. And then you open up the... You open up MILB, right? <laughs> the site, and you you look at the... You look at the numbers, and you see 54 at-bats, and you see 10 hits, and you see that he's hitting 185, and you see that he has three extra base hits, and he, you just uh, you hit the X on the browser, and you go, never mind.
0: Yeah, and, it's unbelievable, isn't it?
1: I mean, dude, Roman Quinn, uh, you know, they he clears waivers, and the Phillies outright him to Lehigh, and Roman Quinn just accepts free agency, and you go... All right, that's the end of Roman Quinn. We'll we'll never see him in a Phillies uniform again, and that's okay. Nice guy, it just never was going to work out. Scott Kingery, man,
0: let's see. Ya. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah, but he's not. I mean, he's not not on the forty man, so they're just paying him his money. They're just
1: paying him his money. They ha- they they already own the money. It, I get it. Yeah. So you might as well have him be employed. But like,
0: mm. yeah. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, it's it's pretty much it. I mean, it's that's what they're looking at and they're saying. Yeah, we might as well. We just might as well have him employed because.
1: I, I'd say, Scott, you know what? You're from Arizona, buddy. Why don't you go f- catch on with an affiliate out there and maybe, maybe a change of scenery will help you. We like you. It's not. It's not going to work.
0: Yeah, it's interesting.
1: I I don't know that there's one player. I really don't know if there's one player that I can remember at least with the Phillies. There's probably been a few Eagles that I've talked myself into over the years. Yeah. But I just don't know if there's one Philly I can ever remember being more disappointed by than than Scott Kingery.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: and I believe he signed. I believe he signed one more year one after more year this year. After I think this contract contract year. ends out in twenty twenty three. I mean, six well, six million dollars. Six million dollars. He's making what Brad Hand's making right now. <laughs>
0: Oh, well, you know, you know what? It's a it's a problem. Oh, it's
1: team options through twenty six. Do you think they'll pick up the options? Yeah, I know,
0: right? There's an option oh, there. Um, you, th- there's an issue here because if if Camargo has to miss time, they don't have another utility player on the forty man, nor do they have one playing in the minor leagues that's not on the forty man. That's uh, that you say. Oh, we could just you know add into the forty man and call him up. They don't even have that guy. Right. Like that's how that's how bad things are with the depth still of this yeah, team. Yeah, I don't know
1: um if there's anything out there like free agent wise, like, you know, I I I got to be honest with you. Somebody asked me the other day for a comp on Bryson Stott, and I just said there are things I'm really good at, there are things I'm really not good at, like giving you giving you comps on players like not my thing and knowing the the current like scrap heap free agency, like shape up. Like I, I have no idea.
0: Yeah. So. I, I, I don't know. I, I think they would have to, they would really might have to trade for somebody here, Bob. If Camargo yeah. is hurt, they're going to have to trade for somebody. Cause the only position players currently on the 40 man that are in the minor leagues, you got Donnie Sands, the other catcher guy, Matt Vierling. Uh, and then you have, uh, five pitchers, um, Bailey Falter, Hans Kraus, Alvarado, Morales, Damon Jones, and that—that's who's a Triple A. At Double A, you got Muziati and Jalen Ortiz, and then a pitcher got James MacArthur, and then yeah. sing, and then you're not going to bring anybody up from Single A. I mean, Luis Garcia is the guy who's a middle infielder who's a prospecty type kid, but he's only playing Single A ball right now. He's not. There's no way he goes from Jersey Shore to Major Leagues. That's your. That's the rest of your 40 man. That's it. There's no no one else. <laughs> so what's this, Ronald Torres doing these days? Did He sign somewhere. I don't know. I actually don't think he did. I could be wrong though. So, so. I mean, that would you know, <laughs> call the Braves and give us back Phil Goslin. Yeah, yeah. He's playing in their minor league system right now. <laughs> yeah,
1: I, I don't. I don't know. I'm not sure. But uh, may, maybe that's the answer. I have. I have no idea.
0: Whatever it is, it had better be right-handed. <laughs> yeah. Exactly right. <laughs>
1: All right, well, that will uh, do it for the latest episode of Crossed Up. Phillies in Milwaukee, and I actually wanted to talk about, you know, hey, how important it is for the Phillies to to survive Milwaukee and then take advantage of a soft spot in their schedule after that. But we we ran out of time.
0: Hey, you know what though? If they go two and three, or two two and one, if they win the series, right? If they go two and one, win two out of three, that that will be the end of that thirty-two game stretch we talked about a month ago of how tough yeah. the schedule was. If they go to yeah. win two out of three, they finish 500, 16 and 16 in that, in that and run in yeah. that 32 game stretch. That's Yeah. Quite. My goal for them
1: is to see them reach the 500 mark by the end of this month. And in order to do it, there's 23 games left. They would have to go 14 and nine. Uh, that would actually put them one game over at the close of June. Um, and so, yeah, two out of three against the Brewers would be great. Now Milwaukee's lost five out of the last six games. They got roughed up by the Padres a little bit this weekend and you know, I mean, the Phillies are, they have some decent pitching matchups where they, they could conceivably compete in these games. That being said, the Phillies don't win on the road. Uh, They're coming off a horrible road trip last time out. And, you know, the, the Brewers are 15 and eight at home. So two out of three would be huge for this team, but they better take advantage of, you know, Arizona at home next weekend, the Marlins five against the Nationals, yes. two against the Rangers. They owe that team. Now's the
0: time. so it's yep. go time now it is go time it, go. it is go time and these matchups the, the one that favorite they favor, favors them the most is Wednesday they get you get Noah Hauser. Yeah. I mean that's Adrian Hauser not he stinks. Um, yeah. and, and you know it, you know Suarez like you said,'s been a struggle, but it's not like the Brewers are throwing it they're throwing Jason Alexander on the other side. Yeah. I mean you,
1: you know, are a noted
0: Brewers doubter, so
1: well, uh, I don't like those, their lineup.
0: yeah I don't, it's, I think I think if you go up against good pitching, and you saw you saw what happened with the Padres, right? Padres have some good some good pitchers, they don't yeah. hit. So yeah. I I like their rotation, but then you you know Woodruff's hurt, you know, and so then you got you take Woodruff out of the equation, you got Corbin Burns and a good bullpen, eh. right? <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll win games with that, but they ain't winning a championship with it. You can't hit, so yeah, yes, no, I'm not I'm a Bre- not a Brewers fan. Not I think I like the Cardinals in that division better anyway.
1: All right, well, guess what? We will be back to talk to you after that Brewer series. Uh, so if nothing else, the Phillies are are fun for the moment. They've given some people some optimism. We didn't have to sit here and trash them for 80 minutes. Yeah. So we'll see what this week brings. Phillies are back in the game. We will talk to you guys later this week. Make sure that you check us out on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere that you listen to your podcast. Leave us a five-star review if you happen to do it on Apple. That always helps us out. And we will talk to you soon.